0: Hey, folks. Well, 2020 is already off to a historic start. The targeted killing of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, a terrorist mastermind considered to be the country's second most important leader, has raised a host of questions. Was it legal? Was it wise? What impact does it have on our national security? And how do decisions with profound consequences get made at this White House? Meanwhile, Trump's former national security adviser, John Bolton, a key Ukraine witness, says he's prepared to testify in the Senate impeachment trial if he's subpoenaed. I talk about all this and more with Ann Milgram on the Cafe Insider podcast. Each week, we break down the news and take stock of what's happening. Today, we're making a clip from the most recent episode available in the Stay Tuned feed. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you believe the reporting in the New York Times and elsewhere... Military leaders gave a menu of options to the president, as is often done, that constitutes a wide range. And the reporting says the following, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's interesting to note, that military commanders weren't really favoring the idea of killing Soleimani, but they decided to put that option on the list, in part, according to the reporting, I keep emphasizing the reporting because I don't know and I want to be very careful about this, yeah. in part, to make the more moderate responses and the more rational responses more palatable to the decision maker who's the president, and he decided that it was okay and appropriate to order the killing of Soleimani. So now he's dead. And the question arises, was that a lawful killing or not? Now, at the end of the day, I don't know if the legality of it matters a whole hell of a lot. I don't know who's going to sue anybody. I don't know what the enforcement mechanism is. And I think it is interesting and we should talk about it. And lawyers like us should explain to the public for purposes of this killing and also just for purposes of how the executive branch carries out its responsibilities.
1: And also how vast the power of the executive is yeah. right now. It's, and, it's and worth a the conversation. May be, yeah, because yeah.
0: maybe there need to be reform. I had Jack Goldsmith, a Harvard Law Professor and expert on national security law. Uh, he'll be on Stay Tuned this week, but I interviewed him yesterday. And one important facet of this is to determine whether or not, like in other areas that we've been talking about with the president, Does he have too much authority? Have we let the executive branch get out of control? Is Congress not doing enough? So it's, I think, important for that purpose as well to see what in the future limitations and constraints we should put on the president's power, if any, because you need a strong executive. But at the end of the day, the question really is, was it wise or stupid? Does it make us less safe or more safe? And the legality of it, particularly when you're talking about a person like the president of the United States where there are arguments to be made, whether they're strong or not strong. This is not like some other thing when you decide... Do I have to pay my bill or not pay my bill? And you can argue about it in the court. Wow. I don't know that there's any forum in which we're going to determine this. And the deed is done. Yes. And it can't be yes. undone. I agree with that. So, so I guess the first thing to talk about is we have something called Article 2. Uh, of the Constitution. Of the Constitution. United States of America. Article 1 relates to Congress. Article 3 relates to the judiciary. And the other branch wedged right there in the middle is the executive branch. And it's, it's fairly vague in what the president's powers are. And essentially, since the beginning of the republic... Every president, no matter from what party, this includes Bush, it includes Obama, and now, of course, it includes Trump, to varying degrees, but generally speaking, has argued for a very, very wide berth and a lot of flexibility in conducting foreign policy and engaging in military activity, notwithstanding some constraints that Congress has tried to put on them. So right off the bat, you have pretty broad authority. Some of these things have not been litigated. So you have this institution that we've talked about a lot on the show in other contexts, the Office of Legal Counsel, the OLC within the Justice Department, that over time has offered legal advice on what a president can or cannot do. And some might think, well, that's silly. It doesn't rise to the level of a law or a statute. Yeah. Well, in the absence of Congress deciding certain things, like targeted killings by drones or other kinds of ability to take action on behalf of the United States, it provides something of a roadmap for presidential action.
1: Right. It, it provides a process. And it's important to note that so much of this, we're talking about a very public killing Here, but a lot of times these are covert actions undertaken by the US military. There there is no public knowledge, there's no transparency, there's no debate. And so what's the process or the protocol that people follow? It's often OLC opinions. And we've talked about this a lot in terms of the OLC opinion that says you can't indict a sitting president. And so we spent a lot of time talking about different OLC opinions, but it happens to be that in this space, as to the president's authority, that there are a number of OLC opinions that exist that are also not public.
0: In some ways, depending on the subject matter, an OLC opinion can serve as a kind of advanced pardon.
1: So you can't get in trouble yeah, if, well, you if you follow If you
0: rely in good faith yeah. on what an OLC opinion says one can do, you really can in good faith prosecute such a person. So that might make some people uncomfortable. As a general matter, if people are behaving properly and doing the analysis properly and are being rigorous, you kind of need. And every president, Democratic presidents included, Republican presidents included – need some legal guidance as to what they can or cannot do. Look, and the Obama administration, by the way, you'll remember, cared a lot about this process. Trump cares less about it. cared a lot about public and internal justification for the things they do, and did a, you know, a little bit of hand-wringing and legal justification. You know, the president gave speeches. Harold Cove is the general counsel of the Department of State. All engaged in rigorous analysis. They also caused OLC opinions to be written with respect to, among other things, targeted killing by drone which is yeah. somewhat controversial yeah. which was you know maybe something that wouldn't have been able to be done before 911 we can talk about that in a minute but there has been
1: And Obama also oversaw the killing of Osama bin Laden so it's it's worth just noting that it's not just the the drone killings but there's some high profile examples where the US government has acted against you know foreign terrorists essentially and so there there are guideposts that exist now I think, as you said up front, there's a lot of debate about some of those guideposts and what they actually mean. And so, you know, going back just to the Article 2 piece um, of the Constitution, Obama didn't rely on Article 2 of the Constitution to argue in favor of the drone strikes and the other things, and in part— you know, there's been a, a fair amount of reporting about this now that in part that's because it's understood to require a situation that is imminent and to be something where the president could not actually there's not enough time to consult with Congress. And so the president has to act unilaterally and we give the president a lot of authority under the Constitution, but it's not it's not unlimited. And as a rule, with a declaration of war, the president would go to Congress.
0: Yeah. So if you're proceeding on a theory of self-defense, and it must be true. No matter who the president is, or what party is in power, that the commander in chief has the authority and ability to take decisive action without a delay of going to Congress to protect national security, to protect Americans. You know, I had a long conversation with this as I as I mentioned again, as I mentioned with Jack Goldsmith, who recites with I think some authority that this concept of imminence, what is imminent, is uh, his word is a very stretchy one. Yeah. And presidents have taken the position that you know it need not be something that's happening tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. There is, you know, broad discretion to decide that in self-defense, someone who's an avowed enemy of the United States or has been responsible for terrorist attacks that evolved Americans before, presumably they'll do it again. You don't have to wait till they're, you know, about to launch a strike against you to do something to take them out.
1: It's just so interesting. And I'm just going to divert from this for one second to say it's it's really contrary in many ways to existing American criminal law. When you think about self-defense to, for example, a homicide, you know, you kill someone because you think they're going to kill you. It has to be that you imminently fear for your life. And that the definitions are very strict. It can't be someone says, you know, I'm going to kill you and you go back 12 hours later and kill them. Um, it It's really, it has to be, it, it doesn't always have to be exactly contemporaneous. This is also true in you know, domestic violence, spousal abuse, what imminent means for self-defense, it's really narrowly restricted in American criminal law. And I agree with you that, and I agree with Jack Goldsmith on this, which is that the imminence conversation in this context, in this sort of international context with aggression against foreign enemies is very different.
0: Look, and the other thing... And important- by the way,
1: this isn't congressionally defined. It's also worth just saying that a lot of this has been done, as you note, through OLC opinions. Yeah. And
0: the reason for that is Congress has been, for decades now... Quiet, and they acquiesce, and over and over and over again, when a president takes some um, action, whether it's the killing of Bin Laden or various drone strikes, or now the striking of um, the striking down of Suleimani. If in the aftermath of that, Congress doesn't say anything about it, that itself then becomes a precedent that means the next person right. or even the same president in the same term can engage in that particular action. By the way, no lesser person in the Obama administration than Jay Johnson, The former head
1: of Department of Homeland Security. Secretary of
0: Homeland Security and also... and was
1: also the... General counsel yeah, of, the, of the Department of Defense yeah.
0: who helped to craft some of these policies in the Obama administration. He took the position I saw on Sunday essentially saying that it may not have been wise. It may not have been smart. And we'll get to that because I don't think it was. But as a legal matter... The president had the authority to make this order. Jay, explain for viewers, why does Mike Pompeo keep saying terrorist? There is a legal reason he keeps saying the word terrorist, isn't it? Uh, no, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, If you believe everything that our government is saying about General Soleimani, he was a lawful military objective. Mm -hmm. And uh, the president, under his constitutional authority as commander-in-chief, had ample domestic legal authority to to take him out without an additional congressional authorization.
1: The one distinction, I think, between what we saw and Obama was expansive on this. I think I think it's important to be clear that since nine eleven, we've sort of gone in the direction of giving the president more and more authority and expanding this again, as you say, to drone strikes and other and other acts where we we've, we've targeted um, terrorist organizations and individuals the one thing that feels different to me here and i i sort of wonder what you think on this is that when you think about killing bin laden or killing um al baghdadi they are not part of the state of a country right they are part of a terrorist organization they run their own sort of operations but
0: it, well he's both
1: so, exactly That's the exactly factor. so so solomani he is he's both the head and he runs all these sort of militia groups and oversees them and he's got tentacles everywhere but he's also a general in the Iranian
0: of a sovereign state. Yeah,
1: and and yeah. and he's essentially, in many ways, considered like the number two person in that country. It's like I don't want to say it's the equivalent of Mike Pence. I don't I don't know because I don't think Pence has the stature, frankly, that Soleimani had in in Iran. I'm not sure what the right equivalent
0: is. But I mean, it could be the Secretary of Defense if that becomes a huge figure.
1: I think it's even higher. I think it's like akin to like MacArthur or Colin Powell or someone like that. So
0: some of some of the arguments you've been seeing in in the press and on television has opposing factions arguing past each other, right? Because the Republicans and the president's supporters who were in favor of the attack keep emphasizing the terroristic nature of Soleimani. When we brought our case, we didn't charge Soleimani. But by the way, I will say that in the aftermath of the, of the case we brought that involved the assassination plot against the Saudi ambassador, the Treasury Department identified by name and specifically Soleimani for sanctions. So law enforcement has emphasized, in my time at least, that the terroristic side of Soleimani, supporters of the president emphasize that, but it also is, happens to be true that he has this official position in a sovereign state. Unlike Baghdadi, for example, and unlike Bin Laden, the question is: is that relevant to the legal analysis, or is that only relevant to the sort of prudential analysis? Like, is it? It is a smart thing, and is it going to cause greater retaliation because countries have you know individual countries have pride what are they going to do about it? And they have more wherewithal than maybe some of these non-state-affiliated... Terrorist groups.
1: Yeah, I think it's relevant to both. And again, I agree with you. I th- I think the legal debate is probably not exactly the right debate. And again, that's because we've expanded this so much. But I think we should be clear that this is an additional step that hasn't been taken before to kill a, a, a member of a state government. And so, Well, it
0: was in World War II. As everyone, we, right, everyone, that's everyone, We're a lot of example, history. Right, that's true. When apparently with but intentionality... war. we declared war. We declared, at, war, we declared war, war. Like the worst war. Yes. World War II. With yes. intentionality, the United States killed um Admiral Yamamoto of Japan. Yes. First time since then. Yes.
1: And I think it's very clear though and what I think is distinctive is that that was a declared war. It was clear that we were um that it was an adversary in in a formal military operate, like there's still a difference there. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that that makes this illegal. I just think that it's worth noting that the administration has taken a further step forward than we've seen before. And again, it becomes precedent if it's not objected to by Congress. And so we are now in a space where we're deciding that the president of the United States can kill essentially heads or or deputy heads, senior leaders of other states, if they come to a decision that there's an imminent threat to Americans. Yeah,
0: and here's the other reason why, notwithstanding was saying the fact that we're arguing against interest because we're lawyers and we like to talk about this stuff. While the legal argument is not so great and doesn't carry the day, is that if the purpose of having this discussion is to influence people and change people's minds, not necessarily the president whose mind seems not to be able to be changed, but the people around him, it has to be argued, I think, on on the dimension of of policy and wisdom. Look, it's been reported that both George Bush and Barack Obama may have had opportunities to take the same action. And did not. And did not. But I have not seen anyone suggest that the reason they did not was that they were concerned about legality. Right. They were concerned about their Article II limited power. They
1: didn't think it was the right decision. They didn't think
0: it was the right decision because it's going to cause other things to happen. By the way, just as, as we're pivoting a little bit... To, I, I want to say on one point yeah. with
1: the imminence just for a second because I thought it was a great point that was raised in the media, which is... The administration is now saying we had to do this because there was an imminent risk to American interests. Now, one of the points that was made, which I thought was really important to note, is that the initial Pentagon statement about the killing of of Soleimani – did not mention imminent threat at all. And so I think we also have to be really critical about, you and I are taking at face value a lot of the arguments that are being made. You can't lie. But this is the, I think that there's a fair question being raised of like, what was the real motivation? What was the analysis that was done?
0: And what's weird about it is, given this conversation we're having, that the president has a pretty, you know, wide um, level of discretion to do what he wants. Why start off the bat by making some argument that may well be disproved that there was some imminent Threaten the way we understand that there was going to be an attack within days or, or, or hours even, if it's not true. Right. Because you, don't, you, don't, need to, you don't need to have that. The other thing just sort of that hangs over all of this, we're always having these rational conversations about whether or not a decision by an executive like the president is wise or not, is legal or not, makes sense or doesn't make sense. We're talking about President Trump. And it would be one thing, if it was a different president who we thought was honest and above board and transparent, acting in good faith, there's nothing to suggest that he does that. Right, You have the reporting of, of the military officials being flabbergasted that he chose this option. You have the common sense, uh, I think, understanding that this is probably likely to, to cause immediate retaliation uh, in the near term.
1: Against Americans around the world, yeah, because, yes.
0: Because he, we didn't destroy the Quds Force. We didn't destroy the IRGC. We took out one guy. Yeah. Maybe he was a, had a special sort of hold on, on a lot of folks in Iran, but he has a replacement. The people who actually carry the guns and the armaments and do the plotting are still there. And they might have things that are underway. It would have been one thing to me if you said, well, we took that guy out. And then we also did all these other things that were aimed at making sure that this particular bombing or strike or hostage taking or kidnapping could not happen. But it was none of that. It seems to me it was done a little bit out of um, anger. Anger. Yeah.
1: It feels like not well
0: thought out because because the president is kind of belligerent. And look, some people have said this. Some people on the campaign trail. I'm not saying it. But I think it needs to be asked for a couple of reasons, knowing the psychology of the president. What are we talking about here? You and I, in the last number of weeks, the first thing we talk about is impeachment and the House and the Senate. And we've spent now 30 minutes, and we'll probably do more, talking about this because it's important. It involves national security, and it comes first because it just happened. But I think it's not an unreasonable question to ask. Was something in the president's mind relating to a distraction from impeachment one of the motivating causes of his doing this. And if that's so, that's an astonishing, terrible thing. And one reason I feel comfortable suggesting this is that there's this famous clip that's been circulating since Friday on the internet. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try the membership free for two weeks. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.